It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today we have a very special lineup for you. We have three distinguished guests joining us that represent the iconic Birdland in New York City. Birdland, the mecca of jazz as it's been called through the ages. Probably one of the premier locations for music anywhere, not only in New York City, but throughout the world itself. And we're joined uh, today by Ryan Patternight, who is manager of the facility, Jim Caruso, the booker and host of the cast party with Jim Caruso, and the owner, Gianni Valenti. Gentlemen, thanks for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to start in speaking with Gianni, if you don't mind. And let me ask you, uh, I know the club has been in various forms in different locations throughout the city over its uh, rich history. How and when did you decide to get into the business of owning a jazz club venue? Well, back in 1983, I met Doris Parker, Charlie's widow. She had come into one of uh, the restaurants that I owned on the Upper West Side. And at that time, we became very dear friends, and I was building a new place on a hundred and fifth and Broadway. Doris lived on 100th in Central Park West. And whenever she came in during the construction, she would always hint to me, this would be great. We should reopen Charlie's Bandstand. With her encouragement, we went ahead. And in 1985, we opened at that location, Birdland. You know, it's interesting because Birdland has such a brand identification that I, I don't think it would matter where you are. People would go. It's it's just that uh, much of an impact and significance uh, in the world of music and jazz as well. So, Johnny, let me ask you, when you moved to the present location that you are at in uh, Midtown, was it primarily because of either location, space, maybe physical layout? What were your expectations for this third and present location? Alan, I've, been, I've been there since then, so I can tell you the story. It, it was a, to, it was, this is Ryan. I was, it yes. was a total opportunity. There was a club called Cafe 44 that was already set up as kind of a cabaret with a stage and the owners were looking to sell their lease and Johnny just always kept his eye on real estate and thought that it would be a good place to move to when he saw it because it's so large and so close to Times Square. And it was a little bit of a risk because Times Square was not so friendly then, especially 44th between 8th and 9th. That was really a center of like the Irish mafia in New York. And uh, it was known as Hell's Kitchen for a reason. And the, the block was pretty desolate. It was really a destination. But it turned out to be a good move because within, within 10 years, by the time of the Giuliani administration, everything was starting to clean up and gentrify, and it became really a, a hot spot in New York City. So obviously the location has worked out rather well for you for the number of years that you've been in place. The beginning was, was slow, but I came, I was working, uh, booking music at the Blue Note, which is a job that I got right after graduating from college, the Berkeley College of Music. And uh, the gentleman that I worked for at the Blue Note met Johnny and decided to leave and go work with Birdland. And I 
followed shortly thereafter. So um, it was it was partially location. It was partially kind of upping the game in terms of the music industry and the jazz booking situation. And uh, yeah, and it, it picked up pretty quickly until 9-11. There was obviously there was a lull after that. But um, since then, it's been really an upward trajectory. So, Johnny, I wanted to say that the reason for moving to Midtown was uh, we needed to get to the tourists that were very, that knew about Birdland, the knowledgeable jazz people coming in from outside the country. We needed to be more visible and we needed to be more accessible. We needed to have parking and the hotels. So that was my main uh, objective to move from the Upper West Side to Midtown Manhattan. Also, within the context of the physical plant that you currently have, uh, you've been blessed by having uh, a downstairs location beneath the main room called uh, Birdland Theater that you've developed. And that's uh, given you the opportunity to enhance your musical presentations and performances. That was that I, I would be I wouldn't exactly call that a blessing, Alan. That was a lot of a lot of work, a long time coming. That used to be chemical storage for Technicolor, the film processing company, who was located in the building above us. The fumes were so noxious that they ate through cast iron columns that were holding up the floor. We saw the space and we thought maybe it had potential. But when we renewed our lease, the landlord um, made it a deal that we had to do something with that space. Um, and that's when we really decided to make it into a second club. And it was a substantial renovation. It took over three years and a lot of money. 2019 was our first full year in business. And it was at least a five-year project getting to that point. So let me ask you then about uh, the acoustics. Uh, I don't know if you have simultaneous programs going on on the main floor as well as in the theater. But uh, do the acoustics allow for such uh, a, a performance? We we alternate the show times to minimize because there's a little bit of sound bleed, but the acoustics downstairs are remarkable, and it was it was all but an accident. We had to remove one column for the purpose of sight lines, and put a cross beam in to support the floor, and it created something like a, a band shell over the stage. So the way, the the level to which the performers can hear themselves without any monitors is really un, unsurpassed anywhere else in New York City. And the sound in the audience is often, often shows are done without much or any amplification. But the simultaneous aspect that you mentioned, we do alternate shows because there's a little bit of bleed, especially from bass and drums. Mm -hmm. No, that makes uh, sense. So Gianni, let me ask you uh, about the, the physical uh, location right now. Restaurant right. dining experience is included uh, as a, a part of what uh, you might enjoy at Birdland? Well, what we did is we had a jazz club and we dropped the restaurant right in the middle of it. I had always been in the food service industry, so I wanted to have music and food come together. Uh, it was a challenge. It's still a challenge that we serve during uh, shows, but I think that over the years we've gotten it fine-tuned where we can put out a full dinner and not disrupt the music or the audience. So to me, part of Birdland experience is come in and hear great music and also have a nice dinner. 
And I, I think that's important too, because people want to enjoy that uh, as well in terms of when you are listening to great music, why not have a little nosh on something and uh, maybe your favorite Absolutely. beverage? Well, you know, it's true, Alan. Most of the jazz community are people between the ages of 30 and I would say 75, 80 that we get to join us. Our guests are in that age uh, range and they want to go out and have a full night out. So instead of having dinner at a restaurant and then having to get up and come to the club, we felt that it was important for us to offer both. And I think it's a better experience overall. Well, and I, I think it's in keeping with the change of hours of operation to not only Birdland, but many uh, venues uh, around the country that have gone away from those days where you used to still be there at five, six o'clock the following morning <laughs> from starting yeah. shows <laughs> the night before. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, it, it's funny, but New York is not the late city that most people think it is any longer. By the time our last show goes up, we literally were closed by one o'clock. And it gives you some opportunity to start a little earlier, too, to capture that uh, after-work crowd or, or maybe some other people. And I think, uh, I believe you may still be doing this to where you do an early show to feature emerging artists? It's become a tradition for us now to do our early shows. We do five o'clock shows most days during the week, and they're very well received. Yeah, and we do hold certain days of the week for the early slot for our emerging artists. But we have resident artists that have been with us for many years. For example, the Louis Armstrong Band on Wednesdays has been with us for 17 years at five o'clock. We have Jim Caruso doing a Broadway series. They come in at 7 o'clock. We have our Friday big band that's been with us for almost 18 years at 5 o'clock. We have Saturdays and Sundays as well. So it's worked out very well, and I think that the audiences appreciate an early show. They can come in and have dinner, and if they want, they can further go out at night or go home. So it's been a good time for us. Well, in, in these days of pandemic, uh, where are you right now with the operation? Uh, are you open to the public or are you still just focusing on the virtual experience? Well, you know, that's why I'm blessed to have Jim and Ryan with me because they've been taking care of all of that work while I've been trying to concentrate on uh, the finances, uh, keeping us afloat and waiting for the day that the governor gives us the word that we can open. But as of right now, we're closed. We've been closed since March 16th. It's in keeping with uh, the mandates uh, of uh, trying to have the community flatline the, the pandemic and also uh, just provide a great experience for everybody. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how all three of you feel about this, but I've always been an advocate of when we create the new normal and we get past this pandemic, I, I'm wondering how each of you might feel about the fact that the virtual experience as the technology is further improved would provide a great benefit or a, a subsequent opportunity for 
uh, financial enterprise uh, by giving access to Birdland. Me, as uh, someone that lives in Colorado, I can't always go to the incredible performances that you have, but I would gladly pay $25, $30, $40, whatever it might be, or however it's uh, set up uh, to have access to watch Monty Alexander or uh, Chucho Valdez or, or somebody of, uh, of renown that uh, I couldn't otherwise have access. What do you think of that? I totally agree. Uh, this is Jim. I know that Birdland will play a very important role in the comeback of New York City. It's going to take some time for people to feel comfortable enough to sit side by side in a theater or in a nightclub uh, but New York City knows how to come back. It's what we do. And uh, the fact that we're doing this new series online is not only exciting for the artists that are involved, but, you know, hopefully a financial boon to the club and really an advertisement for the club and the artists anywhere there's an internet. Would you then say that maybe uh, in the future there would be that additional opportunity for access uh, ongoing possibly like you're doing now with the radio free birdland to where you have good audio equipment you've got cameras etc do you think that maybe you could do for example a blackout in the new york area because you don't want to diminish your uh, local audience but could you provide a, a wider or global audience to those, those of us that are not uh, in downtown Manhattan. You know, before Ryan answers that, Alan, I wanted to point out that all of these programs that we're doing now, we had discussed and put into motion prior to COVID-19. So we've had these thoughts to do this and have it expanded for forever, as far as I was concerned. And... We're seeing it now, but Ryan had laid the foundation for the radio show and for streaming way back at the beginning of the year. So you guys are uh, essentially in the forefront of uh, what's to come? I think a lot of people in our industry are doing or thinking about similar things. But you know what? The answer is yes. We'd like to continue doing it in the future, even when there is an audience present. We're, we're producing it now more like a television show. And Jim and I both have backgrounds in television. So that's kind of where our, our heart is. I grew up listening to the Grand Old Opry. And I remember early in the pandemic, they started doing Saturday nights from the Opry streaming video from the stage without an audience. And I texted Jim and I said, check this out. And he watched it and said, this is amazing. So we had been planning to do a streaming radio show, like a variety show, partially because streaming radio platforms pay performance rights royalties, and it's fair to the artists and the composers that way, whereas YouTube is a different situation. But with the pandemic and the extended shutdown, we felt this was the way to go. So we, we could do it in the future with an audience. We'd probably have to change some things. It looks more like a TV studio when we're doing it now. We'd have to make a more permanent installation that, that accommodates the crowd as well. But uh, yes, we will, we will do something going forward to continue spreading the shows around the world. Even probably not even blacking out New York. You know, it's just for if people want to stay home and watch it, that's, that's fine too. When you open up the audience to the globe, you can fit exponentially many more people can see the show than, you know, than the 140 or so we can fit in seats. With the pandemic, maybe 50 in seats. 
that's one of the silver linings of this time, I think, is we've had a chance to kind of sit back and regroup and think. And when you're in the middle of the day-to-day running of a club, sometimes there's just no time to uh, add new uh, situations like this to your schedule. Well, we certainly have the time now to kind of dream and figure out uh, new things to do and new programs. And um, I think we've taken great advantage of that. And it, it's good to see this innovation uh, and, and this creative aspect that's being brought into the world of music because music's important to all of us. It, it's not only healing, as we're finding during these uh, crazy times, but it, it's also a significant part of everybody's life. Music means a lot to each individual in so many different ways. It's not just listening to uh, jazz music, it's listening to all music and having that either emotional connection or some sort of memory inspiration that comes up. It's truly important and it's good to see the work that uh, you gentlemen are doing in producing uh, what you're doing at this time. I love the fact that it's called Radio Free Birdland for that very reason. Radio Free Europe, which Ryan had to kind of tell me about, started in the 50s during the Cold War. It started broadcasting news and entertainment and jazz to the nations kind of behind the Iron Curtain, sustaining morale and and providing entertainment. So I, I feel like we're doing the same thing in a funny kind of way. We're entertaining the masses who are quarantined in their homes uh, during this stupid pandemic we're living through. So right now, the way it's set up is obviously everybody is uh, socially distanced, even uh, your musicians, uh, when you uh, do the performances on stage. But again, the difference uh, is no audience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's tough in a way uh, uh, for those of us uh, that have been in the performance business that, it's nice to have that connection and the interaction with an audience because sometimes that drives the performance. You know, Alan, uh, some of the performers have, have been skeptical about performing to an empty room, but once they get into it, they realize that, first of all, there's the crew there, and they have a sense that people are watching, and they treat it like a performance, and I think it's been pretty successful in that regard. I think, I think actually, I think they like it. They're not getting direct energy, like after an instrumental solo or something like that. But I think the response from the performers has been pretty positive, and I think that they've really risen to the occasion. And in our situation, they also have the luxury of saying, oh, let me start that song again, and it's no problem. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds, right? And at this moment, I don't know what it will develop to be, but, but at this moment, I think everyone's pretty happy with it. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that, uh, Ryan, because... Uh, Look at what MLB is doing right now with their broadcast of games. While it's maybe a little hokey, uh, the point of the matter is that while the game is underway, they have uh, ambient noise in the background of a crowd, and then they also have the cardboard cutouts. Maybe you could do that in the club. (laughs) You know, Birdland could have uh, cardboard cutouts of your favorite patrons. That, geez, that's a beautiful visual. <laughs> yeah, Jim, I, I knew you'd like that one. You yeah. could have sponsored, have sponsored say, cutouts. I, I like it. I Oh, that's they, right. They could pay. Exactly. Yes. They do little that, extra dough. They do that at Shea Stadium for $75. You can put your photo on a card or cutout. But I have to say, though, Alan, when you hit a home run and no one's cheering for you as you're going around the bases, that feels a little empty. 
<laughs> they're, yeah. they're still competitors though, you know, and they get into it once they're in the heat of the moment. And I, I can't, for, for example, I can't imagine Paulo shot singing any better than he did at Radio Free Birdland with, you know, three people, four people, four person crew in the room and Billy Stritch right. accompanying on piano. I, I can't imagine that, right. he, that, that he's sang any better than that in his life. Plus, so many of these people haven't performed for five months. So when right. they, even when they walk into the room, some of them have had tears in their eyes. They can't believe that they had this opportunity, that they're finally getting to do what they've been put here to do. So it's, it can actually be kind of an emotional situation for these great artists having nothing to do with the fact that there's nobody in the house. That's well said. You're absolutely absolutely right. I was just going to say for many of these artists sitting home for five months and not being out there performing, it's got to be gut-wrenching as, as it is for us having the doors closed. For me, waking up every day knowing that I'm not going to the club to work, I got to tell you, my whole life has been turned upside down. And I think that's the experience for a lot of people. And even as uh, Ryan pointed out, at least there's the crew in the room, etc. And there's a small number of people that are there for whatever the reason may be. Even as a testament to that, uh, a jazz guitarist by the name of Wayne Wilkinson does a Facebook party uh, on Sunday nights that we've covered and have been a part of. And he did a backyard party where he actually went from just performing solo on these Facebook concerts to where he had his whole trio together in the backyard. And there were about a half dozen of us. But you can see manifesting through their performance, the fact is that they were getting feedback and uh, as, as you gentlemen pointed out, you know, there were tearful moments of, wow, this is so cool. We finally are performing and we're together again. Right. It's, you know, you feel like yourself again after five months. So, you know, you know Alan, what, whatever it is that emerges from this pandemic, um, it may not be recognizable to us. It may not be the same, but it will be different. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. It, it, in some cases, it could be better. I've discovered a lot of interesting things online during this, and I've listened to a lot of music that I would not have been able to hear and people would not have been putting out there. I'm, I'm a fan of early jazz like David Oswald, who's premiering this week on Radio Free Birdland. And there's a guitarist in San Francisco named Craig Ventresco and his partner, Meredith Axelrod, who's a vocalist and also a guitarist. They perform every night in this pandemic at 11 p.m. I mean, it's 8 p.m. in San Francisco, 11 p.m. Easter. Every night for an hour, they perform, they, they work for tips, um, but it's an incredible body of work because first of all, very few people play this style of music, which is essentially ragtime guitar and vocals with the authenticity and the commitment. And I had never seen either of them live, only heard them on recordings. So to watch them almost nightly from their living room is amazing. It's an amazing opportunity. You know, they probably couldn't fill a concert hall because it's a very specific style, but for what it is, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm just so yeah. impressed by so much of the Birdland, so many of the Birdland artists that have taken to doing online shows every night, every week, whatever, whatever they decide upon, like clockwork. One of the websites here in town actually did an article about the Birdland artists that have been so really on it with taking their art to an online platform. And uh, I think we should be very, very proud of 
a lot of a lot of the people that we work with on a weekly basis. I wanted to add, Jim, not only that, most of them have contacted us and are willing to give their services and perform for us to keep the music alive. And they've been just blessings in disguise. And I would say just about everyone we book has been there giving hope and their services at any time we need them. Sure. Well, this series, I mean, they're coming in basically for free. Hopefully they'll make money from the series, but there's no guarantee. I think they'll do well, but they're doing it because they love the club. They hopefully love us. I mean, who wouldn't love us? And (laughs) (laughs) True. It's, uh, I think, an example of how we're doing the right kinds of things, and we're sustaining not only the music, but we're sustaining the lives of people that we interact with normally uh, and have in the past and presumably will in our new future, whatever that might be, uh, and how that all gets sorted out. And so I I think you gentlemen are are speaking uh, very eloquently about how this impacts people in general. A virus is not going to stop Birdland. No. No. I wanted to mention one thing, Alan. It's true for the performers because they're they're creative by nature. So they've figured out ways to do this and we're facilitating that. It's tough on our staff. A lot of them are younger, less established. They work for tips. They're trying to survive on piecemeal work or unemployment. We were able to bring them back for a brief period when we thought we were able to reopen. It's still hard out there for a lot of people. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad the performers are starting to get back into it. And I hope they thrive. I hope this series sells and, and we're able to pay them. But you can't serve drinks and get tipped for a virtual series. So it's, it's tough on about 60 people that we had to lay off. And no doubt uh, that's the case because it is difficult, uh, especially when you have a good and a loyal staff and a great team that uh, works with you all the time. It's... Uh, difficult to not have them be a part of what you're doing. So can we touch a little bit more on uh, Radio Free Birdland? Because uh, I I want people, our listeners, to know that you're going to be doing a whole series of these. It's not just within the context of a a concert here or there. This is going to be ongoing, and you're even going to do a new show every Tuesday and Thursday, if I'm correct. That's right. That's correct. Uh, and then also, in keeping with that, it, it seems to me that uh, even ongoing when you're back up and live, that th- this new format that you have, uh, which is inclusive of not only jazz, but also Broadway, and that's going to be an ongoing thing, I believe? It's, it's, it's half and half. Um, every Thursday is a new Broadway performer, or some, and there's a couple, uh, or at least one comedian, Every Tuesday is going to be a jazz performer, but we like to think of everything that we do as jazz adjacent. I mean, even a great Broadway singer like uh, Max von Essen, whose show is premiering this week, I mean, he's singing great American songbook standards, and Billy Stritch is accompanying him. So it's not a jazz performance per se, but anyone who likes uh, you know, jazz vocals is going to get a lot out of that show. And of course, he's a huge Broadway star, so there's a whole fan base there which has nothing to do with jazz. So it's not traditional Birdland. I mean, it's, it was built as a jazz club and has been that for a long time. But since Jim came on board, I want to say decades ago, we've, uh, we've, opened, we've opened the music to uh, a much broader spectrum of even thinly jazz adjacent 
uh, music. And, um, and that's been a great success for us and a joy to meet so many artists that we didn't necessarily know about. And artists aren't limited to just one genre of music anyway. Uh, most of them right. uh, yeah. expand uh, their songbook to include so many other things, including jazz standards. Uh, and Absolutely. I, I think that's important. I think, Alan, to be successful in this business now, you have to be a little bit more eclectic and you have to be open to all genres. You can't just pigeonhole yourself. Especially with the opening of our new theater, which opened two years ago now. You know, we're a music multiplex. Who knew that was a thing? And it's uh, given us a great opportunity to expand the schedule to appeal to many, many different kinds of musical taste. And right now, what you're doing is you're producing uh, this series uh, with uh, Broadway World Events. How can our listeners uh, learn more about this and have access to these wonderful performances? Uh, if they go to our website, birdlandjazz.com, all of the shows are listed. Um, the tickets are available at events.broadwayworld.com. And as you mentioned, they are our partner. Um, Rob Diamond of Broadway World came to us and said, hey, we built this great platform. Right as we were about to, as we mentioned, we were launching a, a streaming series. And he solved so many of the technical problems for getting the word out putting the shows online, paying royalties, all those kind of things. And so we partnered with him gladly, and it's, it's, they've been really great. So events.broadwayworld.com, you'll find tickets to all of our streaming events every Tuesday and Thursday, Radio Free Birdland. So and each concert kicks off with a live premiere event that features a, a chat, you know, an online chat with a performer, uh, and then it'll be on demand for 30 days on Broadway World events. No, and I, I think that's really good, especially with that presentation uh, prior to the performance uh, to where there's a little bit of access to the artist uh, and you can learn more about that uh, artist as well. So, Jim, let me ask you, besides Radio Free Birdland, are you going to continue to do the cast party events? Absolutely. Well, try and stop me. <laughs> I love I love what I get to do at Birdland. I love it so much. I took it to YouTube and have been doing it there for now 19 weeks. Listen, Birdland changed my life. Cast Party really changed my life. Uh, being able to celebrate up and coming talent, established talent, great talent, not so great talent. I mean, that's, that's become my, my mission. Uh, just shining a spotlight on on people. I am there every Monday. The second we reopen, I am you know, just try to keep me away. Ryan, let me ask you: Are you still going to continue or take a look at uh, producing albums from Birdland? It certainly seems less relevant now since we're doing this new thing. And and why just release the album if you can also stream the show? But yeah, we're open to it. We had scheduled to record the second live album with the Birdland Big Band celebrating Charlie Parker, uh, Charlie Parker Centennial in August with all new arrangements. I, that may have been scheduled to be this week, as a matter of fact, but we can't do that. We can't even stream that because we can't have 18 people on stage. But we're definitely open to recording more, but right now our focus is on the streaming shows and making them as good as they can be and trying to sell tickets. And Gianni, uh, let me ask you, uh, are you still going to have the connection to jazz cruises? Well, unfortunately, we're going to do it on land this January. We're going to be in Vegas February 21 through 25 because we had a lot of concern, obviously, of 
our guests getting on a ship at the end of uh, January or early February. So we've uh, moved it to Las Vegas this year, and we will be back on the high seas for 22. Well, that sounds great, and uh, I, I think you're already billboarding or promoting that uh, because uh, you have some artists that uh, maybe uh, have bought into that? Yes, we have. Uh, and as it goes, we're selling a 1,000 tickets in Vegas, and we're nearly half sold out already. So uh, it's, it looks very good for us. Well, that sounds great. I think the future holds promise for Birdland as well as a number of venues across the country because all of you have come up with creative and innovative measures to sustain yourselves, and we're very glad to see that that's occurring. This has been a true delight having this conversation with you, and I will have to admit, I am greatly looking forward to the day when I can get back to New York and come to see a live performance at uh, Birdland. Actually, we look forward to having you here in New York. As I mentioned, we can't wait to open. I know Jim and Ryan are, are you know, they're excited about their programming, what they're doing right now. But I'd love to get the doors open and have live music. I'd like to get my staff back in here. I'd like to get the artist in and my guests. I miss it tremendously. Well, I, I would say just through the course of this conversation today that uh, I, I get the sense or, or the feeling that Ryan, uh, Jim, and yourself, Johnny, are a solid team and a team that works well together. And, and many others that you, don't, that you don't see, but yeah, we are. But as uh, those out front or in a lead position, uh, you're providing the opportunity for the future to get all of the team back in place. In yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I've had a very loyal staff. My core has been with me for many years. Ryan and Jim, Jim's almost 20 years. Ryan, over 20 years. I have kitchen staff, managers, general managers, and we all count into the years that we've all been together. So that's been very difficult for me, not having them around. And well said. And I'm quite confident uh, just uh, again through this conversation that the ship is in good hands. Uh, and with uh, you gentlemen at the helm, I think you're going to uh, sail into a great future ahead. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz, featuring the owner and operators of the iconic Birdland Jazz Club in New York City. Our thanks to Ben Sidron for our theme song, Mr. P's Shuffle. Please join us for our next episode for a conversation with award-winning Canadian vocalist and pianist, Carol Wellsman. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the app you used to listen to us. We are available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app. Also Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.